Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you're well and apologize for not being with you yesterday. Um, We needed to run an encore, as many of you probably know. Um, Just last-minute difficulty. So God bless you. It's so good to be back. And I've gotten lots of um, uh, comments from, from you that you love the reading of Bishop Fulton Sheen's book, on the rosary. Um, I've loved it myself. He wrote it again in 1944. I've had now, uh, because I downloaded it and printed it out, I couldn't find it online, and two of you already have shown me um, where it could be purchased online. I think Mother of the Savior, which is a steady resource of mine for books, the Mother of the Savior is one of them, and it's uh, $4.98, very little. That's what I was told. I have to look it up. Um, it's just beautiful. And today, <clears throat> we're on the fifth sorrowful mystery, um, the crucifixion. I read it ahead, and it is exquisite, beloved. It's just exquisite. This is worth framing in your home. Bishop Sheen says, Our Lord spent 30 years of his life obeying, three years teaching, and three hours redeeming. Now, of course, we could we could correct that. We could say, no, 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 he spent 33 years of his life obeying the night before he went to the cross. He said, Father, not, by, not my will, but thine be done. It was all in obedience. He came to die. Um, and during his three years teaching, he certainly came to do the will of the Father and obeyed him. And three years redeeming, of course. But the redemption started in the cradle, started the moment that he um, took flesh in the virgin's womb. So um, his, his obedience, his teaching, his re- uh, redeeming was uh, all the same, but focused on 30 um, years of obeying, three years of teaching, three hours of redeeming was the focus. I, I, these are the reasons I love Bishop Sheen. He can stand back and see the forest from the trees. And then Bishop Sheen writes, but how did he redeem? And he says, suppose a golden chalice is stolen from an altar and beaten into a large ashtray. Before that gold can be returned to the altar, it must be thrown into a fire where the dross is burned away. Then the chalice must be recast. And finally, Blessed and blessed and restored to its holy use. Sinful man, Bishop Sheen says, is like that chalice which was delivered over to profane uses. <clears throat> he lost his godlike resemblance and his high destiny as a child of God. This is you and I, beloved. So our blessed Lord took him. Uh, took unto himself a human nature, making it stand for all of us, plunged it into the fires of Calvary to have the dross of the sin burned and purged away. 
Then, by rising from the dead, he became the new head of the new humanity, according to which we are all to be patterned. If anyone today speaks of a new humanity, they are apart from God. There was only one new humanity that was created at the death and resurrection of Christ. The cross reveals, Bishop Sheen says, the cross reveals that unless there is a Good Friday in our lives, there will never be an Easter Sunday. Unless there is a crown of thorns, there will never be the halo of light. Unless there is the scourged body, there will never be a glorified one. Death to the lower self is the condition of resurrection to the higher self. The world says to us, as it said to him on the cross, come down and we will believe. But if he had come down, he never would have saved us. It is human to come down. It is divine to hang there. A broken heart, O Savior of the world, is love's best cradle. I'm going to repeat that sentence. A broken heart, O Savior of the world, is love's best cradle. Smite my own as Moses did the rock, that thy love may enter in. Is that not exquisite? I think it's exquisite. I, don't, I can't think of another word for it. Beautiful is too less of a description. It's just magnificent. So I'm not going to go on to another um, mystery of the rosary starting the glorious mysteries because I think that's one to meditate on for a long time. But I will go early now today to your, your emails and your texts um, because we need to catch up. Okay, so I'll begin to take um, your calls right after the break, as we always do, but I'm, I want to get caught up in some of these uh, emails and texts. And you're free to call in, and we'll take calls in the order they come in. The toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three. You may text at that number as well, one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. When we ended the program uh, on Tuesday, I was in the middle of an email from um, uh, a woman uh, uh, and, uh, who wrote in anonymously, and I, I suspected we had taken this before, but I'm going to uh, reread the email and try to respond to it quickly and then go on to your texts. Uh, she says, My husband and I were married in the church, and he is a non Catholic Christian. We had zero formation prior to marriage. So that is, beloved, the foundation of the rest of the email. However awful things are, that is the foundation of the rest of the email. Two people married in the Catholic Church, and he's a non-Christian, should never have taken place. A, a, a Catholic, a, a non-Catholic Christian, but particularly a Catholic tr- Christian, uh, not only should not marry a non-Christian, we are forbidden by St. Paul to marry a non-Christian. He says, what fellowship has um, uh, God with Belial? Belial is Satan. What fellowship? Why should the two be joined? It's, it's an awful 
situation. It's trouble from the beginning, and it's not trouble that's going to end. It's going to get worse because it's based not on truth, not based not on a true union. And then she says, we had zero formation prior to marriage. Well, shame on the priest who married you. Uh, if you married, if you said you got married by a justice of the peace, it'd be different. But married in the church, that priest should never have married the two of you, ever. We have struggled greatly because of this, of course. I would understand that. I would expect it, especially as I grew more in my faith. He is being, that's her husband, he's being supportive of us raising our son in the Catholic Church. He attends the Latin Mass with us. However, at this time, he does not, he does now wish to learn about, okay, however, at this time, he does now wish to learn about the Catholic faith and struggles with some of the things I teach my son. Okay, this is so far very good and hopeful. If he wants to learn about the Catholic faith, then if if you're going to a Latin Mass, then you approach the priest to give him instruction. That's the way it should be. Um, And if there are things he struggles with, then he needs to keep his marriage vows and let the priest help him with those things because belief comes slowly and there's much to understand and assent to. So this is good, Um, but he struggles with some of the things you teach your son. That's normal because he's not yet Catholic. He wants to participate and read and teach our son about the Bible, although it's great. I'm hesitant if he uh, may say something that is not in line with what the Catholic Church teaches. I also do not want our son to listen to contemporary Christian music, and at times my husband plays this music to our son. Our son is only a toddler, but I already do not want him to get mixed messages about his faith. Well, you need to remind your husband that as much as he is involved in a non-Catholic world, contemporary Christian music uh, is not the Catholic music you are involved in. It's not the music of the traditional Catholicism, and it's... Uh, it's the world getting into things, and you, you really don't wish it, plus a lot of the messages not Catholic. And so say, sweetheart, this is a time of suffering for you, looking into the Catholic Church. But I need to be the barometer of what is Catholic and what is not. When music, music is not acceptable to the Catholic faith, I need to let you know that, and you must respect that. If you teach our son uh, something in the Bible that is not Catholic... I need, I won't correct you ever in front of our son. I'll just say, and uh, whatever it is, I'll bring it into a Catholic perspective. Um, uh, she writes, I do not know how to correctly and lovingly handle our situation and follow my vocation as a wife. How can I let my husband be the head of the home if he does not wish to teach our child anything Catholic. Well, you need to remind your husband, sweetheart, um, you are the head of the home and you're to be the spiritual head. But since you married uh, and you uh, were not Catholic and are not Catholic, but wish, uh, but agreed to raise your child Catholic, you need to be the head of the home by making sure that I bear the burden at the moment of teaching our child so that he's raised in the Catholic faith because that's your vows. And you can't raise him with Catholic doctrine. 
and the Catholic interpretation of the Bible if you're not Catholic, sweetheart. So as head of the home, you need to assign that to me. We need to come together in, in what's best for the child while you're studying the Catholic Church. And finally, she says, my husband is a wonderful um, man and is an example to me in so many ways, and I understand his heart um, and how much it must hurt for him to not raise our son in the way he was raised. Well, I don't know how your your husband was raised because, okay, maybe I got it wrong. Oh, he is a Christian. My apologies. He's a non-Catholic Christian. You still should not have married him, and still the priest should have given you preparation. But the fact is, say, sweetheart, I know this must hurt you because you have a different vision and view and understanding of God, but it is your vows to raise him Catholic, and you must put me first when it comes to to teaching him. I don't want to be his teacher beyond you, but at least I must, you must bring me in for the perspectives that are Catholic. Um, and so... Um, my, uh, you remind him that you did not vow to raise your son in the way you were raised in terms of Christianity, rather, but uh, to raise him Catholic, which you don't understand and cannot do uh, unless and until you are Catholic. My, um, she says, uh, my husband was never told by the priest prior to our wedding that he had to raise our children Catholic. Well, It should be part of the wedding ceremony. Maybe it's not. It should be part of the wedding ceremony, of the Catholic wedding ceremony, which is why it's much harder for him to grasp now after many years of marriage. Well, if the priest didn't do that, you certainly should have done that, but you said you will weaken your faith. And so it's not a vow that he made. If it's not a vow that he made, you're in trouble because you, you he needs to be open now to respecting Catholic teaching uh, without, in his heart, having made that vow. It's not going to be an easy solution now. So you said, I would appreciate any advice. I would go to a good, holy Catholic priest, which you did not have at your wedding. And I would explain the situation and that at your wedding, uh, he, your husband-to-be, was not told by the priest or by you this is a, a tragedy here, that uh, the children had to be raised Catholic, and you need to speak to the priest and let him guide you. All right, you must do that. And um, hopefully your husband will have an open heart and uh, maybe uh, say, sweetheart, would you pray that would you try to go back to the time before we were married if you knew that would be part of your vow to raise our children Catholic? Would you have married me? Don't answer me now. Please go and pray before God and see what your decision would have been. All right? Because if it was yes, then this is the struggle. And, it, and this is what it means to make the decision to marry me and raise our children Catholic. Okay. <clears throat> Roland has written, Hello, Mother. I had emailed you a couple of questions, but I know last week was fundraising, so I'm not sure if you got them. Um, okay, Roland, I, I thought I did answer it, but let me, let me go for it again. Um, he says, number one, our niece is getting married in the not-too-distant future. Her fiancé does not 
isn't Catholic or practicing anything now. Her priest told her she could only have a wedding service. I know I answered this, and not a mass because of this. Is this correct? It's not correct. She should not marry him, and the priest should have nothing to do with it. And you need to get to your priest and... and um, uh, rather to your niece and explain these things to her. What are two? What are the rubrics for the Saturday Vigil Mass? Is it to be used all the time, regularly, or only when one cannot go Sunday because of work or uh, travel or something? Well, uh, the Vigil Mass, uh, you're right, Roland, was only established not in the traditional form. There's no such thing. But only on a holy day, of obligation. There's a vigil mass because the vigil <clears throat> uh, follows the Jewish time of the day beginning at sundown the eve before. So uh, it's legitimate to have a vigil mass. But the vigil mass that is every Saturday in the Novus Ordo Church um, is, um, is legitimate mass. But yes, it was established for those who must work Sunday or who cannot get to church Sunday. It was not established so the church should be packed and everybody can go to the beach on Sunday or sleep in or do what they want. Sunday is the Lord's Day. Number three, is there such a thing as a communion service? A priest did not show on Sunday. They announced they would have a communion service so we could fulfill our Sunday obligation. Thank you very much. Well, there is such a thing as a communion service. Um, and as far as it being the Sunday as communion service, substituting a Sunday service, canonically, Roland, I don't have the answer to it. I would have to look that up. You could look it up in the GERM, G-I-R-M, General Instruction of the Roman Missal. You could call an apologist at Catholic Answers on the web, catholic.com. If it was a communion service, uh, at the very least, it should have been held by a deacon and no layperson involved, uh, just a deacon. Um, I don't know um, why the the mass could not have been late, and another priest called. I, I do not know that, uh, but um, I, I don't have the answer for you about a communion service on Sunday. During the week, yes, but on Sunday, I don't know that for sure, Roland, so I, I don't want to take the chance of answering you incorrectly. We have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Hi, Mother, can you give an example of legitimate development of doctrine Thank you. God bless you. I dealt with this um, as I came into the church because uh, my evangelical years, it was syncretism. It was just uh, everything added to the faith rather than a true development. The book you want to get, perhaps I'll I'll recommend the best book on the subject uh, of any book around is Cardinal, now Saint Cardinal um, John Henry Newman's essay on the development of Christian doctrine the develop, essay on the development of Christian doctrine. I believe he wrote that yet in Anglican and was Catholic when he finished it. It's truly tremendous. He demonstrates there, and this is uh, an analogy of an acorn, of a tree growing from an acorn. It's an acorn. It's not a tree. And they look very, very different. 
but the tree develops from the acorn. And he shows how you can trace the true development of that acorn into the branches of a full tree. Not only that, but you can trace the tree branches, the the true branches back into the acorn, and you can distinguish the false from the true. So um, in the, it was always there in its full form. It just developed. It grew. Um, I, I wonder if we cannot use the example of uh, the conception of a child. Uh, the child is its just uh, the seed that, that uh, is implanted and is an entire person at the moment of conception. Entire person. But it develops into the full person. It doesn't have all its organs, all its arms or its legs, but it's an entire person that develops into a full person. Um, the Trinity, the triunity of God, the doctrine of one God in three persons, was defined a few years after the church was established. And it is not new teaching. It was not made up by anyone. The scriptures always taught, if you go back, and you go back into the Old Testament as well as through the New, that God the Father is God, that God the Son is God, that God the Holy Spirit is God. And um, you can trace that back uh, uh, through Scripture, through time. And, and you can also trace back the fact that there is absolutely one God, not three. But if three persons are God and there is one God, we understand that that one God is one but made up of three. He's a unity. He's a tri-unity. Um, it's not that he has three parts. He doesn't have three parts. He's three persons in the one Godhead. Growing up in my Jewish home, we would sing the cry of the Jewish heart from Deuteronomy, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord your God is one. Now, um, if you say, I have one grape, that the word in Hebrew for that verse is echad. But if you say, I have one grape, the word wouldn't be one echad, it would be yachid. If you say, I have one bunch of grapes, a collective, one bunch of grapes, that word is echad. And so the Jewish cry says that God is one, and he is. But he is not a bunch of grapes, but he is a unity. He's one unity. Um, and so um, he is one God in, in three persons in one God. He is, which is why God in Genesis 1 said, let us make man in our image. Who is God talking to? Some people say the angels, but we're not made in the, in the image of the angels, and the angels didn't create us. So it's God. It's God. As After the fall, God said the man, when they fell by uh, taking from the serpent, uh, eating from the tree, uh, the man has become like one of us. Who's us? God is speaking of himself. Um, but the doctrine of the Trinity, to describe, without just saying God is three in one, to describe it a few years later, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, the tri-unity of God, was formalized. Um, um, so, you know, with the latest uh, infallible doctrine that's binding on the faithful was the assumption of our Blessed Mother. 
1950. And uh, in my Protestant years, I was taught the Catholic Church came up with something, something new they came up with. Doctrine ceased with the last apostle. The Catholic Church teaches that doctrine ceased with the last apostle. Did they invent the Assumption of Mary? Absolutely not. It's been believed for 2,000 years. But there comes a time where doctrine might be questioned. And so it's proper on the nature of Christ uh, that he's 100% God, 100% man. These Uh, vital doctrines, vital to our faith, uh, need to be declared so in time. And so the bishops come together and they... um and they proclaim what has always been the case. There's nothing new, nothing new. Uh, the, the, it is the faith once delivered to the saints, and there has been no, nothing added to the faith since the last apostles. But again, like an acorn, it has grown into a full tree, and we've come to understand as children more of what we've been given, more of the nature of God, and so we come up with terms to define it. Okay, I, I hope that helps. Um, uh, a false development is one that just comes out of the air. Uh, that um, uh, I will say, such as, as going on with the Amazon Synod right now, there's nothing, there's no true development in the things that are being said. It's absolute heresy and it's false. That's an example of illegitimate development. It's not development at all, it's heresy and destruction. So read uh, St. Cardinal Newman's essay on the development of doctrine. It led me into the church. It's fantastic. There's the music for our break, beloved. Um, Call in with anything on your heart, toll free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at motheratthestationofthecross.com, and we will continue to take your calls, emails, and texts as soon as we come back. Don't go away. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at lifesightnews.com. St. John Paul II said, All forms of missionary activity are marked by an awareness that one is furthering human freedom by proclaiming Jesus Christ. One way you can proclaim Christ is by displaying a Catholic radio bumper magnet on your car. 
Request your free Catholic Radio bumper magnets today. Visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Promote tab at the top of our website. That's thestationofthecross.com. Then click the Promote tab. Thank you for supporting Catholic Radio and helping to spread the gospel message to everyone else on the road. to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have a whole half hour to ourselves, and I'm going to continue to take your calls, your emails, and your texts. And, um, excuse me, again, the, the, um, the toll-free number to call or text is one 511 5483 or email at mother@thestationofthecross.com. We're going to go to Stephanie, who sent in a text. Stephanie is from Bridgewater, Maine, and she says, Why do people in our society want to update and change everything. We need a constant, and the church has been that and should continue to be a constant, recognizable entity. Well, Stephanie, how could I not agree with you? But the fact is, if you look through all of history, things do change very legitimately. You know, the automobile was invented, and why shouldn't we change by riding it rather than keeping on horses, that kind of thing, the bicycle. Um, And if uh, the automobile was invented and goes uh, five miles an hour, why shouldn't we continue to update that? God has given us the means and the the intelligence and all of that to do that. And so so with clothing and and, uh, we have electricity, we didn't have it before. Um, and so there's a, an updating of civilization that I think God wills and that he gives us the intelligence and the ability to do, which is very, very good. We don't remain in a primitive state, and we, then we find something and we want it more beautiful, and we create gardens and, and so many things. The, the problem is, of course, that the intelligence and the gifts God has given us for good we also use for evil, and that's where it's not good. But as far as the church is concerned, uh, the church has been that and should be a constant recognizable entity. It should be. But again, um, here's an example. As in Vatican II, um, there's a very good thing that happened. There's many good things that happened um, where the church had told us not to eat meat on Fridays. We were forbidden to eat meat on Fridays. And when I was searching, looking into the church as an evangelical Protestant, I was I took a waitress job just to earn some money and read my way into the church. And I used to see Catholic families come into this big Italian restaurant that I was working for and order a lobster feast. The, the owners were Catholic, and they knew people couldn't eat meat on Fridays, so they would have big lobster feasts and crab legs and all that, and people would feast more on Friday than they would ordering meat. The 
parts of the week. And I said, what? This is ridiculous. If the, I, if the object is to fast in union with Christ's sacrifice on the cross, what's the lobster feast about? And so the church decided that its children needs, need to grow up. And, um, you know, when a, when a child is, is two, you, t- you tell him not to cross the street by himself or you spank him. But when he's older, he's going to cross the street, but he's going to co- cross the street using his own judgment now. The same thing with us. The church wanted us to grow up as Catholics. And so now that we're older, now that we know who Christ is, now that we understand our faith, it could be from five years old on, um, we now... The church, for the first time at Vatican II, gave us a choice, that the idea is fasting. The idea is joining into our Lord's sacrifice. And so we weren't uh, ordered to abstain from meat. We were told that if meat is not a sacrifice for us, we can abstain from something else. So, for example, if someone's a vegetarian... That's no sacrifice for them to not have meat on Friday. So the church is saying you need to sacrifice, sacrifice beans or lettuce or something that's a sacrifice to you to join in with our Lord's sacrifice for us on Friday. If a child is small or the elderly, uh, such as the Good Friday fast regulations, if they need meat, if the need is there, go ahead. So when I uh, turned over 59 and the church says that I could eat meat, I, I haven't. I have not. Why? Because I don't need it. I'm healthy enough. I don't have to eat meat. It's not a medical issue. And so uh, with that, um, telling people to whatever they do, make a sacrifice. And again, if someone eats meat on Friday because they need to, they need to make another sacrifice. We are not... Um, uh, we are not to abstain from sacrifice on Friday, and the United States bishops asked us to continue the meat, um, uh, abstaining from meat f- in reparation for abortion, but many people don't know that or they've let it go, and so many Catholic Stephanie no longer sacrifice anything on Friday because they thought the church, the minute the church gave us freedom to grow up and be adults and, and give a sacrifice that was a sacrifice from our heart, the sacrifice was done away with. And when that was done away with, um, people left the church. They said, if it was, if it's nothing, it was truth for all these years, how could the church change it? Truth doesn't change, but it wasn't truth. People need to distinguish between uh, what is doctrine and what is discipline. Doctrine cannot change and will not change for all those of you uh, who are concerned about what's going on, and I'm going to say it again at the Amazon Synod, doctrine can not change. False things can be taught, but they are false, and we are not to obey them. Doctrine cannot change, but discipline can and does change. That is how we live out the faith, you see? So we could live out the Friday fast, which has not changed, by giving another Friday. There are times I've been with people on Friday or a conference they've served me, and it would be very um, out in the open if I refused it. And out of love, I ate the meat. And it was actually my sacrifice before God to eat that rather than offend them. So um, uh, there's, there's uh, factors about being constant. The church has been that, Stephanie, and you're right, and should continue to be a constant recognizable entity. I absolutely agree with you, which is why I grieve completely 
when our bishops and priests uh, are defecting from the faith and why our dirty laundry is being spread all throughout the world through the news media. It's incredibly painful. Um, So, yes, um, but people in our society want to update and change. This is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. If something doesn't work and you have the ability to make it better, there's nothing wrong with change. But when you change something as to no longer have what it was, such as the Catholic Church and its intent, then it's, then it's heresy and then it's wrong. So um, there's the music for our second break, beloved. What Stephanie asked can go into a million directions and is very important. Um, call in with anything on your heart, toll free, one 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download on your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. Welcome 
to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have... Oh, more than 15 minutes together. So give a call in. That's a very Jewish expression. Give a call with whatever's on your heart. And it's toll-free or text at one 511 5483 or email at mother at We have an, an, an anonymous text <clears throat> from someone who says, Hi, Mother. I have a question about the Latin Mass. As a child... Our masses were in Latin. As a teen, I drew further from Christ. As my parents did not attend church, coupled with working with many Jews over the next years who kept saying Jesus was just a, pro- at a prophet, <clears throat> I drew even further from Christ. Would it be better to have the translation of the Mass for those coming into the faith. Well, of course it would be, dear one. And I have not been to a Latin Mass that does not have a translation of the Mass. Uh, The books, I don't have one in front of me, but they're generally in red, I think gray for the Hispanic translation, red in English, and um, on one side of the page is the Latin, uh, the left is the Latin, and the right is English, so everybody can follow along the Mass. The entire Mass is translated. <clears throat> and then the, um, of course, the homily uh, is um, is given generally in English as well. So it is today. Maybe it wasn't when you grow up there. When I don't know, but it certainly is today. You can go to any Latin church and get a, a, a booklet of the of the mass in English <clears throat> and follow along. And if not, ask the priest, because there are plenty. Um, uh, We have a text from Angie who says, Dear Mother, I'm a registered nurse. Can you please tell me if I would be committing any sin by working in a health care facility run by Masons? Thank you so much, Mother, and God bless you for all that you do. Thank you. Angie, I tell you what, um, I cannot tell you if you would be committing sin. I, I, I cannot think of a reason why I would work for a facility run by Masons. Um, the Vatican is being destroyed. The church is being destroyed in large part by the Masonic sect, and it's been a plot for many years. I know I sound like uh, something out of the, I don't know, out of the Twilight Zone, but um, this is very dangerous, and it's satanic. And so, and a Catholic cannot be a Catholic and a Mason, and many Catholic men are Masons because they do not know that. Um, I do. I would not want to support the Masons in any way by working for them and helping them to earn a profit. I would not. Um, so I, I would not go. I wouldn't tell you it's sin to do it because there could be different circumstances of why you would work for them. Um, so I think it needs to be your own judgment there, but, um, uh, and also you need to be, uh, spiritually astute and be sure you're getting your prayer in and reading scripture and, and living a very holy life. Um, 
so that you're not attacked and drawn away from the church. So that has to be, it must be your decision. <clears throat> and and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you should not work for them. Uh, I would not, personally, unless there were a reason, a plot, why I should. Uh, otherwise, I would not. But I, I cannot say it's sin. <clears throat> We have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, how do you reconcile the idea that the Pope, God's mouthpiece, and the leader of Mother Church? Well, I, I don't think we should ever call the Pope God's mouthpiece. Not only is that degraded language, but the Pope is not God's mouthpiece. Um, so let me, okay, and the leader of the church, how can you reconcile the idea that the Pope is elected by a council of men, each of whom is fallible. That's correct. And if the Pope is not infallible, then to whom falls the task of judging whether papal degrees are the will of the Lord or that of one man? Well, the Pope is not infallible. No human being is infallible on this earth today. And... This person says, who is more qualified to interpret the will of God than the Pope? Uh, Quite a lot of people. And if someone or somebody is more qualified, why are they not head of the church? Because someone is not Pope because they are more qualified, because they know more, because they're more spiritual, because they're more holy, because of a thousand things. They are Pope because God in his providence has allowed them to be elected. That's it. And they are infallible. I rather they're not, as you said, they are not infallible. They are human beings who can sin and make mistakes like all of us. The gift of infallibility is really a negative one, and it applies only to the Pope and only when he teaches matters of doctrine, not discipline, but doctrine that are binding on the faithful to believe. So, for example, the declaration of the resurrection of Christ of his death for sin. Those are doctrines. They are binding on the faithful to believe. No one could be a Catholic and say, yeah, but I don't believe he died for our sins. I just thought he would think he's a pretty good hero. Then you're not Catholic no matter what you claim. There are those doctrines that are absolutely infallible and binding on the faithful. But there's much that the church teaches that is, and, and that the Pope teaches. There is nothing the present Pope has taught, by the way, that has been bound, binding on the faithful. If it were, uh, there'd be a big problem because he has taught several things that are against the faith. And so um, if someone, you say, uh, somebody is more qualified, why are they not the head of the church? The head of the church is the vicar of Christ on earth, and that is for God to decide through the bishops and the cardinals he appoints. Um, or to allow whoever is elected, God is sovereign, and um, what he allows to happen with his church, uh, I don't know that we fully have answers for this side of heaven. Um, but again, the only thing that, the only matter in which the Pope is infallible are matters of doctrine, faith and morals, rather, faith and morals that are binding on the faithful, to, that they must believe it to be Catholic. Um, and I say it's a negative gift, the gift of infallibility, because it's not that the Pope, uh, that God helps the Pope speak what is true. 
it's that it's the it's the reverse. That's why it's a negative effect. He 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 keeps him from speaking error. That's what the gift of infallibility is. That in matters of faith and morals, the Holy Father is kept from pronouncing what is false and evil. He's kept from that. So in matters of faith and doctrine, faith and morals, he can only speak what is true if it's binding on the faithful. So we're confused about many things that have been said and written, and written, but they are not binding on the faithful, and they do not have to be believed. Although we should respect and follow the Pope, indeed, but if anything goes against the teaching of the Church, then we must not obey it. <clears throat> We have a text from Jean who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, my husband and I were widowed and we remarried in the Catholic Church 13 years ago. He is a non-practicing Jew. Interfaith marriage was the first mistake. He has two children in the 40s who have been rude and disrespectful to me verbally countless times while I had them over the house for holiday dinners and talked openly about him transferring all his money to their trust fund. He has complied for fear of alienating them, which would surely happen. He will not stand up to them or defend me in any way. I have been excluded from their wedding and have not been invited to see their grandchildren. My husband... Um, does not mention the grandchildren at all to me when I ask about her. I have prayed for peace and blessed them always. This has affected my health, but nothing will change. How can I reconcile this feeling of rejection despite my efforts from a Catholic perspective when they want nothing to do with any woman he has in his life? Thank you, Mother. Well, um, Jean, you got yourself into a real difficult position, and uh, you are simply reaping the results of that. How you were m- married, remarried in the Catholic Church, um, well, you were widow, so you didn't have children, and if you were remarried in the Catholic Church, um, I guess you've kept your faith all this time. It's very difficult. Uh, Perhaps you didn't know him well enough. Perhaps you didn't discuss these things. Perhaps you didn't meet with his children before marriage, and you didn't discuss the fact that uh, you would be his wife and companion, but that would be the end of it. He wouldn't want you interfering with his life or his children, and they wouldn't want you. Uh, So, Jean, I tell you what... um, I don't see a way for you to change this. Uh, There might be, but I don't know if you could live long enough. Uh, You got yourself into this, and you made the wrong decision. We don't live our life in regrets. We trust God for what he's allowed us to do. And the, the answer is that you live your life as a holy, loving, Catholic wife. And accept what your husband doesn't want you involved. If he doesn't leave you a penny, that's his business. Don't worry about it. He obviously doesn't understand marriage. He's not interested. Jean, you are there as God's instrument. You can file for an annulment if you wish, but you you can do that. Uh, that's an option for you. But other than that, 
um, read the book by Elizabeth Lesur. Her husband wrote a book, Why I Became Catholic. He was an atheist. He wanted nothing to do with her religion. He didn't want her spending all her time in church. He, he, he didn't allow the faith to be practiced at home. He spoke against it. But she lived her faith quietly and heroically and went to Mass um, on Sundays, and she kept a diary. And when she died, he read her diary and uh, became Catholic. And not only became Catholic, but became a priest because she lived an exemplary life of everything she lived in every way that demonstrated who she was and what she believed. You need to do that. Forget about the children. Forget about the arrangement. Don't ask. Don't just... Be a companion to your husband and don't try to work your way into his family because you will only cause separation between the two of you and you will only cause utter misery and ongoing heartbreak. Your husband doesn't want you involved. The children don't want you involved. Again, it's a marriage that should have never taken place, but it has. And now you have an opportunity to be a missionary in your marriage. Love your husband. Sympathize with his needs. Just let it go that you're not part of the family. Let it go. It's not the dream you wanted to have. And you be a holy, Catholic, faithful wife to your husband and love God and don't refrain from Mass. Uh, you can go every morning. Uh, uh, join some form of um, uh, devotion that you can get together with others and if you can, that you can do from home. Uh, trust that God has put you uh, through your choice. He has allowed you to go into the midst of a really awful and painful situation, Gene, and say, okay, Lord, it's not going to change. I can't change it, and I don't know that you will change it, but show me what I need to be in this situation, and let me take, give all my sufferings to you for the conversion of my non-Jewish, non-practicing husband. If he converts, Lord, it'll all have been worth it, and we'll get him to heaven. Okay, we have a call from Paul in Braintree, my dearest brother, uh, but we have one minute left. So, hi, Paul, very quick. Yes, uh, but I will be quick. Uh, how appalling it was, but not surprising, I thought. I heard Monsignor Charles Pope, I think, you know, well, was commenting, and, he, and rightfully so, about uh, Father James Martin reigning on the parade of Cardinal uh, John Henry Newman, uh, saying that, suggesting, oh, we shouldn't get so uh, excited and, 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 uh, and, and about his uh, elevation to a saint because he might have had some homosexual proclivities. Shame, and he said, and Father, and Monsignor said, Give it up, Father, please. That's right. That's right. Enough. All right. Whoever's heard this news, whoever's read it, it is it is from the devil. It is not true. Um, Father James Martin uh, has trying to make homosexuality normal throughout the church. He's just been appointed by Pope Francis as a consultant to the LBGQ uh, goings on at the Vatican. It's it's an, the whole thing is utterly utterly evil. And uh, if you've heard anything about Cardinal Newman that would destroy his being uh, sainted, it's false. Okay, Paul, my brother, God bless you, and God bless all of you, and we'll speak with you tomorrow. <laughs>